This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. River Church, so good to see you here today. Man, I, I, you guys sound so good. Did you know that? I love, man, just worshiping our God. I was back there hanging out in the back. Our little man is uh, not wasn't feeling too good today, and so I was holding him, and he was just back there dancing during the music and like just playing. It was, man, it's just so much fun to watch, and then just worship together. And I mean, he was having a blast until he hit his head on the chair, and then it was pretty much downhill from there. But for a while, he was it was awesome. But uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, I'm glad the chicken story didn't scare you away. I was a little nervous to be honest. Um, and so I'm glad you're here. And, uh, if you said, what is the chicken story? I'm not telling you, it's too, you missed it. Um, and you probably don't want to know. And so, but I'm glad you're here as we continue in our, uh, walk through Nehemiah. If, uh, you weren't here last week or if you were and you're forgetful like me, let me just give us kind of a, a quick recap of where we were and how we got to this point where we're at, where we're going to go. Um, last week, we started off talking about um, Israel, and, the, and, and they kind of went through some difficult situations. They went into exile. Literally, the Babylonian Empire comes in and conquers them. They go into exile, taken to Babylon, and it's just this like awful scene, right? But this beautiful thing happens where God makes them a promise, and he says, hey, you guys are going to go into this exile, and exile means they literally get taken from their home and put into another land. He says, I'm going to take you from this, take you they go through this exile, and he says, in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back home. I'm going to bring you back home, and I'm going to set you free of this exile. And, the, and it sounds like this amazing promise and this really cool thing. The only problem is this was something that had never happened in the history of the world before. A nation exiled from their home, taken to another country, returned back home. But the thing about our God is he does some pretty amazing things, don't you think? And so... Shockingly enough, right, we probably wouldn't be telling the story if it didn't work out this way, but shockingly enough, um, 70 years later, God brings them home back to Israel. He sets them, um, he, he brings in actually the Persian Empire, the guys from 300 come in and conquer the Babylonians and their king says, you guys can go home and set them free. And then we kind of take up, that's kind of where we picked it up with our hero, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah um, gets a report on how the rebuild is going. And when he gets the report, the report's really bad. And they say the walls are broken down, the city gates are broken down, there's no protection, there's no safety, they can't rebuild. And so Nehemiah is broken over the situation. And so we see Nehemiah as God gives him this passion to see his home, his city, lives rebuilt. And so this passion begins to rise up in Nehemiah, and it says that he prays to God, it says he fasted for days, he sought God out. What he's doing is asking God to do something about the situation. Asking God to stand in, to get involved in the situation. And while he's waiting on his opportunity, while he's waiting on God to do something about the situation, we watch as Nehemiah prepares and prepares and prepares until it's time for action. And when the king offers the opportunity for him to go home and make a difference, we see in Nehemiah as he steps up and this bold, amazing action request that he can go home and begin to rebuild his city. And so we kind of left off last week asking that question, What might God be calling you to rebuild? What might God be calling you to restore? Is it a family? Is it a relationship? Is it a job situation? Is it yourself? What might that look like? And so I just encourage you as we're walking through this story 
to pray and see God and ask him, what, what is this? What might this look like for me? And so we kind of left off there at the end of chapter two. And at the end of chapter two, Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. The king, the king lets him go and he begins to walk around the city and explore the city and look and see, take inventory of everything that needs to be done. And then he gathers the people together and he gives this speech in Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18. I'll just read it for you guys. It says, so I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. He's talking to the people of Jerusalem. Come, let us rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And I told them how gracious the hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, let's start rebuilding. And they were encouraged to do this good work. And so Nehemiah comes, he gives the speech. The people are ready to go. The people are ready to work. But as I was studying this this week, that moment made me pause. Because I stepped back and I was thinking about it, I was going, what made them follow Nehemiah in this dream? These people who were discouraged, these people who were beaten down, these people who were exhausted, what was it about Nehemiah that made them go, let's get to work, baby? And I was reminded of this story in a book I read a long time ago when I was a kid. And there's this character in the book, and I think that Nehemiah had some qualities of this character. So we're gonna, I'm going to call that, just for our purposes, the reaper cheap quality. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So reaper cheap was a, is a mouse. He's a character in C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, and he's like this valiant mouse who, who's chivalrous and courageous, and more than anything, he loves Aslan the lion. And he wants to serve Aslan the lion. Aslan the lion is, is a picture in those stories of Jesus. And so Reaper Chief's this valiant mice or mouse who leads the mice army. Like he's a pretty cool dude, right? And so he's this valiant mice, leads the mouse army, and he wants to fight for the king. He wants to fight for Aslan. He's courageous, right? He's chivalrous. And, and as a matter of fact, in one of the books, he actually loses his life fighting for Prince Caspian. And in, it's a children's book, so you can't let the guy die, right? And so he's brought back to life by Lucy um, through a gift that Aslan had given to her. And so the mouse, you know, he, he pops up, he's like pumped to be alive. And then he realizes something. He realizes he's lost his tail. And I don't know how much you know about mice culture, but their tail is important to them. At least it was in this story. And so he begins to plead with Aslan, despite the fact he was just raised from the dead. Like if I was raised from the dead and I lost my tail, I think I'd be cool, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not dead. <laughs> this is okay, right? But instead, he begins to plead with Aslan to give him his tail back, bring back his tail, because his tail represented pride and dignity for him, right? It was his pride. And so they begin to have this conversation, and Aslan begins to talk about how maybe you care too much about your dignity. Maybe you care too much about your pride. Maybe maybe this tail is a little bit more important to you than it should be. And as they're having this conversation, Aslan looks over, and he sees this whole mouse army. If you can just picture this in your mind's eye, this mouse army holding their tails up with swords to their tails. And Aslan asks him, he says, what's, what's going on? Well, let me just read it so I don't botch this. He said, why have, all of your, why have your followers all drawn their swords, may I ask, says Aslan. May it please your high majesty, said the second mouse, whose name was Peepacheek. Some interesting names in this book, right? We're all waiting to cut off our own tails because if our chief must go without his, we will not bear the shame of wearing an honor which is denied to our high mouse. Oh, that's good. Aslan roared, you have conquered me with your great hearts. So not for the sake of your dignity, Reepichi, 
but for the love that is between you, catch that, the love that is between you and your people, you shall have your tail again. I love that man. Reaper Chief's men loved him, and they didn't just love him because he was any ordinary mouse. They loved him because he was valiant. They loved him because his greatest aim in life was to serve the king, to serve a cause bigger than himself. And what we learn about Reaper Chief is that he was ready to protect and serve the people that he loved. He was ready to stand for truth and goodness over everything else. As a matter of fact, what we learned about Reepicheep by the fact that he died was that he was willing to lay down his lives for his friends. I think Nehemiah had those same qualities. Because we learned about last week, Nehemiah was willing to step up and take risks. He's ready to be brave and bold and take action when the time came to stand up for a cause that he believed that was bigger than himself, to rebuild something that he believed in. I want to be like that dude. I want to be like that mouse. And I think as we talk about rebuilding our families or our homes or our cities or whatever that is that God might be bringing to your attention, I want us to remember the type of man that Nehemiah is. I want us to remember that he's a man who serves God, who loves God, who loves the people that he serves. What I want us to know as we talk about rebuilding, that our motive behind it matters. What we're rebuilding matters just as much as the motive behind what we're building. And so they begin in chapter 3, which is really cool. They begin the rebuild in chapter 3. And and we're not going to go through 3. We're going to skip 3 and go to 4. But chapter 3 is really cool. It's all of these, it's just stories of the families coming together to rebuild the city. And so it says, like, this family rebuilt the sheep gate. And this family rebuilt the fish gate. And this family rebuilt this. And this family rebuilt that. And so it's like this beautiful picture of, like, the city coming together to rebuild their home. Like, it's so cool. But then you know what happens? Adversity strikes. Man, how many of us know that's the truth, right? Like you start rebuilding, you start focusing on something you know God's called you to do, and then boom, something comes up against you. Boom, adversity strikes, right? Like we took, um, we had our, we were in the community group last semester, which we're starting community groups next week, so get plugged into a community group. It's going to be awesome. But we, we were in the financial peace community group last year, last semester. And it was so cool. It was a group of us. We came together talking about um, just a godly way to handle our finances and get out of debt and just be wise with our money. And uh, anyways, and so we're doing that. We're getting our budgets right and we're getting everything together. And, you know, me and Katie are pumped and everybody in the group's pumped. But one by one by one, there's a story of the refrigerator broke down right when we got the budget right. Man, the surgery's coming up that we didn't expect right when we got the budget right. Man, the car broke down right when we got the budget right. What I'm saying is when you start getting things together, adversity is going to strike. And maybe it's already there. You just didn't notice it because you're a mess. (laughs) (laughs) But so they begin to build and build and build and adversity strikes. And here's what I want to say to you today is I want you to write this down. As adversity, as you build and rebuild and grow, you're going to face adversity. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And so what I believe is that if you have the right tools at your disposal, if you have wisdom at your disposal, if you have the right mindset at your disposal, when adversity strikes, you can keep on going. A few uh, weeks ago, uh, Ryan, the guy up here with the guitar, and then Christian, the skinnier guy back here with the guitar, and I, just playing Ryan, uh, we went on a fishing trip. And so we, we went to, what was it, Blue River, Oklahoma? And so I don't really like Oklahoma, but we went. I was playing. I was playing. 
Um, it was beautiful, actually. And so we go to Oklahoma. We're, we're planning to go and fish in, in Blue River. And as we're getting ready for the trip, I start looking at the weather. And we're looking at the maps. And, and you guys know me. I'm a skinny guy. Like, I freeze easy. You know, like, if it's cold, my bones just, I'm brittle. They break. And um, so we're looking at the weather. And Ryan's like, yeah, it's going to be like 15 degrees or 19 degrees, I think it was. And we're not just fishing. We're going to be standing in the water fishing. And I'm thinking, like, this sounds like a fantastic idea. Yeah, let's, let's just go die. That's great, right? Flu, pneumonia, whatever, and bring it on, right? But anyways, we start talking about this trip, and, and uh, Ryan says, hey, you're going to need some waders so you can stand in the water and not die. And so I contacted John Ragsdale, who's the bearded wonder here at the church. You'll, you'll know if you see him. And uh, anyways, I, I hit him up, and he said, yeah, come over. I got some stuff for you. And so he gave me some, uh, some waders. And then he said, what jacket are you going to wear? And I told him, he said, right, let me get you a different jacket. Went, okay. So he gets me a jacket. And he says, what, uh, what gloves are you going to wear? And I said, oh. he said, well, let me get you some different gloves. And so one by one by one, he gives me different tools, different equipment to wear. And then we got out there that morning, that Friday morning, 7 o'clock, opened the doors. And it's like, I mean, it's that cold where you just walk out and you just die. Right? Like you just walk out and you're like, oh, it's over. <laughs> this was a mistake. <laughs> but... I had the jacket on, I had the gloves on, I had the layers on. And I'm telling you what, man, I was standing in that water and I was sweating. I was having to take layers off, guys. The point behind that story is because I had the right tools, the adversity of the weather didn't affect me or bother me. As a matter of fact, it was a fantastic trip. And so what I hope to do as we walk through today is just to give you a few tools. And I know I can't give you all the tools, but maybe just a few tools that will help you face adversity. And so when you do face adversity, it won't slow you down, but you can keep on going. And actually, the main adversity that we're going to talk about today is the adversity of people. Uh, Some are like, my adversity sitting next to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> So the main focus is that I want to help you give you some tools so that you can walk through this so that when you face it, you can keep on going. Let's look at, let's look at the adversity that Nehemiah faces. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 1. When Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men. And so Sambalat, this, this character, he's a powerful guy. He's an influential guy. And he gets in front of it with his friends together and just make, begins to make fun of the Jews. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and other powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they even finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah, then other people start getting involved. Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, indeed, even if a fox climbed up with their building, he would break down their stone wall. Ouch, man. We've got Sambalat and Tobiah, these influential men, these prominent people, use their voice to tear down and discourage the Jewish people. And you might ask yourself, what's the deal with these guys, man? Like, what's, what's their problem? Well, here's their problem is that they have a certain agenda in this situation. And their agenda is different than Nehemiah's agenda. Nehemiah's agenda is to seek the welfare of Israel. Nehemiah's agenda is to rebuild the city gates. Nehemiah's agenda is to rebuild, protect the people, create a safe place where God can be worshipped, where goodness and justice can be upheld. But Sanballat and Tobiah, their agenda is not justice. 
Their agenda is not goodness. They're not interested in the welfare of the Israelite people. What they're interested in is exploiting the weaknesses and vulnerability of the Israelites so that they can profit. They don't care about the good of Israel. They care about the good of themselves. You got any sand ballots in your life? You got any people that are around you that maybe even they act like they have your best interest at heart, but they don't? Because some of those people are sneaky. Like a, a while back, Katie and I had a doctor's appointment and, and the for Gideon, and the nurse was asking about Gideon. We're like, man, he's, he's so much fun, but that joker is wild now. He's crazy. He gets everything. And she just goes, yeah, they're small, but they're sneaky. You got any small but sneaky people in your life? Not children. He's great. He's not a sand ballot. <laughs> he's awesome. But he is sneaky. <laughs> Maybe you have some people that appear to love you, appear to, appear to care for you, act like they have your best interest at heart. But at the end of the day, the only thing they really care about is their own profit. Sam Ballot and Tobiah aren't happy about the rebuild. So what they do is they use the power of their voices to change public opinion. They talk trash and try to bully the Jews into doubting themselves. And did you hear those insults? Pathetic Jews. Can you bring these burnt stones back to life? If a fox climbed up the wall, it will break. Personal insults. They remind them of their failed past, and they tell them that they're not good enough to get the job done. You got any people that do that to you when you're beginning to rebuild? Here's what I want to say to you, and I want you to write this down. As you dream and as you rebuild, whatever that is that God's calling you to do through this sermon series, hear me, don't take stock in the things that people say that are discouraging to you that take no courage to say. Don't take stock in the things that people say to you that discourage you, that take no courage to say. It takes no courage to tear someone down. It takes no courage to make fun of something. It takes no courage to mock someone. It takes no courage to be sarcastic. It takes no courage to be passive aggressive. It takes no courage to discourage. But you know what does take courage is rebuilding a family. What does take take courage is rebuilding a marriage. What does take courage is rebuilding a relationship. What does take courage is rebuilding a city. So don't you dare pay attention to the things that people say to you that take no courage to say when you're too busy being courageous and making a difference. Nehemiah and Sambalat have two totally different agendas. Sambalat's agenda is to tear things down. Who gives a, who cares what he has to say? Yeah, I thought I was about to say it, didn't <laughs> I almost did. What you need to do is tell the sand ballots in your life they can kick rocks and tell them to get lost. And if you tell them, hey, you're a sand ballot, they won't know what you're talking about, but who cares because you're getting away from them anyways, right? Those type of people in your life, you need to run away from those type of people. And then secondly, just as a side note, don't be those type of people. We don't need you, man. <laughs> we need encouragers, not discouragers. Pay attention to how Nehemiah responds in chapter 4, uh, 4 through 6. He says, listen, our God, for we are despised. So Nehemiah hears these mocking voices, and he goes to the Lord in prayer. Make their insults return on their own heads, and let them be shaken as, or taken as plundered as land of captivity. 
Do not cover their guilt or let their sins be erased from your sight because they have provoked the builders. That's pretty cool. He's saying God is, is calling us to rebuild this thing. So Jesus or God, deal with them, baby. Get rid of them. And then he says in verse six, so we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height for the people had the will to keep working. So what Nehemiah does is he goes to God in prayer. He knows that there's no reconciling these two agendas. He goes to God for encouragement. And man, there's times that you just need to get in the presence of Jesus. There's times you just need to get in the presence of the Lord and pray and let him be the one to encourage you. I hope that, that in worship this morning, that's, man, we do that, man, for us to come here and just worship God and lift him up and praise his name. And I hope that as we worship together, you feel encouraged by the Holy Spirit in this place. There's times that you're discouraged. You just need to get with Jesus and let him be the one to breathe life into your lungs. So he goes and gets in the presence of God and then, and then he asks God to get him. <laughs> He asked for justice. And I'm not saying like, you know, you should ask God to like get the guy that cut you off in traffic this morning. <laughs> get him, Jesus. Right. But what I am saying, hear me here. If God has given you a God dream to rebuild something in your life, don't be afraid to ask him to move mountains on your behalf. Because here's what I know is I don't know very many God dreams that are possible or that can happen without God doing something. So if God has put a God dream in your heart to rebuild something, whatever that is, don't be afraid to ask him to move on your behalf. Because if it's a God dream, it ain't happening without him. Right? And if it can't happen without him, maybe you need to dream a little bigger. (laughs) So he gets before God, he gets encouraged from God, he asks God to move, and then this is really important too that he does. If you notice the second part of that is he ignored the noise and he just kept right on working. If God has called you to rebuild something, when the haters come out, when the discouragement comes out, the best thing you can do is not to yell back or shout back. The best thing you can do is keep your head down. That's my son. He's not feeling good. The best thing you can do is keep your head down, strive after the goal, stay focused, and be successful at what God has called you to do. And so here comes the spirit of discouragement. Here comes this joker who's trying to get in the way. And the first thing Nehemiah does is we're going to get away from the discouragers. We're going to run from those people. He goes to God for encouragement, asks God to move on his behalf. And then Nehemiah just puts his head down and keeps on working. As you can imagine, that didn't go over very well with Sambalat and Tobiah. Verse 7 through 8. Let me read this to you guys. When Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashadites, so the enemy list has grown, heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So now the enemies have decided that talking's not enough. Now they got to intervene in the situation. You got any people in your lives that just intervene a little bit too much? Some people you wish would just back off a little bit? Now, sometimes it's not always people intervening in the situation. Sometimes it's circumstances, right? Like talking about the, um, talking about the financial peace class that we took in our community group. Those, those things that happened weren't people intervening, intervening. Those were circumstances. 
But now the enemy is on the attack. They're not just talking anymore. Now they're coming after him. And here's what Nehemiah does. First chapter four, nine through 14. He goes to the Lord in prayer again. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fail. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. You guys catch that? Those are some of the same words that were said earlier by the enemies. And now those words have begun to creep into the hearts of the people trying to rebuild their city. Sometimes we ignore, we can ignore the haters. Sometimes we can ignore it, but sometimes it does sink in, right? Verse 11. And our enemies said, they won't know or see anything until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. So this is life and death here. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and time again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by the families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters and wives and homes. So the enemies come to attack, and what does Nehemiah do? He realizes that if he's going to continue in this dream, if he's going to believe in this rebuild, he's not going to solve the problem by running away. He's not going to solve the problem by giving up. He's not going to solve the problem by feeling sorry for himself or spending time worrying and being anxious. Nehemiah realizes if he wants to defeat the enemies, what he's got to do is take action. And what we're going to learn throughout this over and over is that Nehemiah was a man of action, and not just a man of action, but a man of proactive action. Reread this, verse 13. I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. What does Nehemiah do? He identifies the most vulnerable areas of the wall. He identifies the weaknesses in the wall. He identifies the places where the enemy is going to attack. What are our weaknesses? As you begin to rebuild, as you begin to dream, whatever this is God's calling you to do, where are the weak spots in your life, in the plan? Where are your weaknesses? Nehemiah takes a self-inventory so that he's aware of his weak points. Remember, adversity is going to come. The enemy will attack. There's nothing you can do about that. Our job is to follow Nehemiah's lead and to identify the places where he's most likely going to come against us. Identify the places he's most likely going to attack. And then look at what Nehemiah does next. After I, excuse me, um, I, then I stationed them, families with their swords, spears, and bows. The next thing Nehemiah does after identifying the weak points After identifying the weak points, Nehemiah strategically puts defenders at each location. See what that says? He put them to get the wall families together. What's interesting about that is he doesn't just put people at the wall to defend the wall. He puts people at the wall who love one another, who are emotionally connected to one another, people who will fight for each other, people who are willing to lay down their lives for one another. I may not lay down my life for Joe Schmo on the street, but I will die for my son. 
After identifying the weak places in the wall, Nehemiah puts people who will fight to the death for each other at those weak points. Who's defending your weak points? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it people? I guess what I'm asking is, as we look at these weak points, where is our accountability? Is there anybody that you've allowed to protect your weak points after you've identified them? Is there anybody that you've allowed to step in that spot? And I know that's uncomfortable. I know that can be scary. And I know that we don't really like that. But you've got to bring in people who can help protect you where you sometimes can't protect yourself. People who love you and care about you and will fight to the death for you. And then you've got to give them permission to do it. You've got to let them know about it and give them permission to do it. So he identifies the weak points. He places families to strategically places families there to fight and defend the weak points. And then the third thing Nehemiah does is he reminds them of the strength and the power of their God. If he has called you to it, he's not going to fail you. And I love what he says there when he says, remember our awe-inspiring God. I think sometimes we forget how powerful the God we serve is. Like, like seriously, he just brought these jokers out of exile to rebuild their home, and they're already feeling sorry for themselves. Don't give up now. The hard part's already over. <laughs> Cities have been rebuilt. The thing that had never happened before, a community being brought out of exile to return home, never happened before in the history of the world. God had already done that. Remember the power and the might of the God that we serve. If God's called you to it, remember, sometimes we just get overwhelmed. We're attacked at all sides. Sometimes we need to step back and remember exactly who the God is that we serve. And then finally, he says, Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord, and check this, fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. The last thing that we see Nehemiah do is he reminds them of the why. He said, remember, you're fighting for your wives. You're fighting for your sons. You're fighting for your daughters. You're fighting for your home." There's a reason why in every war movie ever made, there's a moment before the battle where the commander runs around and gives the huge speech, right? What he's doing is reminding them what they're fighting for, what they're rebuilding, why they set on this thing in the first place. When adversity hits you, when the dream feels more like a nightmare, you need to step back and remember what you're fighting for in the first place what you're rebuilding in the first place. Because if you remember the why, your family, your kids, your marriage, your whatever, whatever it is for you, when you remember your why, you will always outlast the enemy. When adversity strikes, it's the why that will help you persevere. And so we see him identify the weaknesses. We see him strategically place people to protect the city. We see him remind them the power of their God. And we see him as he reminds them of why they're doing what they're doing. And amazingly enough, it works. The Bible says that the enemy's plans were frustrated by God. Have you ever been frustrated? That's like the worst. <laughs> it says that the enemy's plans were frustrated by God. So what I want to leave you with today is when the spirit of discouragement or adversity strikes you, run 
from the people or the situation causing it. Go to God for encouragement. Ask him to move on your behalf. Keep working. Identify the weak points. Place people who can be your defender. Remember the awe-inspiring power of our God and remember your why. And I don't know, I don't know what it is that God's placed on your heart. If, you know, I don't know what it might be that he's calling you to rebuild. I don't know what this dream is or it might be for you. Well, I hope that this is encouraging. I hope that this is helpful. And I want to leave you with one last thought. I want to talk about that Reepicheep guy one more time. So Reepicheep, what we learn about him is that his dream, his greatest desire was to get to the end of the world so that he can enter into what they call Aslan's country. And Aslan's country was symbolism for heaven, right? And so this is his greatest dream. This is his greatest desire. And in the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, they're traveling on this great ship and there's a crew and they're, they're headed to the ends of the world. Like this is where they're going. They're trying to get to Aslan's country. But as they're going, adversity keeps striking and the crew begins to get tired. They begin to get exhausted. They begin to consider stepping back and giving up. And as they're getting ready to give up, as they're getting ready to quit, Lucy, another character in the story, she looks at Reepicheep and she says, man, do something about this. Don't let him get up, give up. Don't let him quit. Let me, let me just read to you. Remember, his greatest motive is to get to Aslan's country. Lucy turns to him and she says, aren't you going to say anything, Reep? Whispered Lucy. No. I, I love his answer. Why should your majesty expect it, answered Reepicheep, in a voice that most people heard. Hear this. My own plans are made. While I can, I will sail east on the Dawn Shredder, and when she fails me, I will paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I will swim east with my four paws, and when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I will sink with my nose to the sunrise. Woo! You go, Reap. I love that. He said, my plans are made. I don't care what the rest of you guys do. As long as I can, I will sail on this ship. And when that ship fails me, I'm going to sail on my coracle. And when that coracle fails me, I'm going to swim as far as these four paws will take me. And when I can't swim any further, I will sink with my nose to the sunrise, knowing I did everything I could. I never gave up. That's a mouse I would follow anywhere. If God has put a dream in your heart, if he's calling you to rebuild something, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Because at the end of the day, persistence is what's going to get you there. Not talent, not resources, not circumstances. The greatest indicator of your success will be if you just don't give up. And so if God's put it in your heart to rebuild something, set your heart on it and say, my plans are made. And I will do every single thing I can do to get there. And don't you ever give up. Father, I love you. Thank you for the opportunity to come to this place and just worship you, God. You are so good and mighty. And Man, Father, it's just a privilege. So God, I don't know what you're calling us to do. I don't know what you're, you're, you're bringing to people's hearts and minds this morning. But I know that there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen in our lives. I know that there's a lot of work that you want to do in our community, Father. I pray that as adversity strikes, that we'll keep on going. I pray that as adversity strikes, we'll never give up. I pray that as adversity strikes, 
We'll remember why we're doing what we're doing, Jesus. Father, help us to be faithful and let us just see the beauty of the rebuild. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.